Welcome back to Pick and Pod, WFUV's NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright, here today joined for the first time with Bridge Gotham. And Bridge, you've shadowed a few of these podcasts now with me. You've, got, you've gotten to hear me go on my rants. You've heard my talks with Andrew Posadas and our bet, but you're finally getting to be on the show, and I'm so excited to have you on air today. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. Really excited to talk some hoops, and uh, let's get down to it. And now, Bridge, I know you're a huge college basketball fan, and there's been a lot of madness, as always, in March for the men's and the women's tournaments, a lot of upsets. I don't think uh, I can't. My bracket is absolutely a dumpster fire. I don't know about yours, but the only thing crazier, and maybe not crazier, but the only thing in the basketball world that we have to get to above March Madness has to be the trade deadline Thursday saw the movement of 46, 47 players, which is the highest number ever in a one-day span for the league. Of the NBA's 30 teams, 23 took part in the action with 17 different trades. The biggest piece of that puzzle, Kyle Lowry, didn't move. He ended up staying in Toronto, but there were still a lot of big names. And Bridge, I want to get your first reaction. Was there any trade that surprised you any what's one trade that really stood out for you from this trade deadline um well I mean just before I mean like you noted you know usually March is all about college ball but with this year with the altered schedule we got both the all-star game and trade deadline so you know the NBA pretty prominent now and for me I think you know the Victor Oladipo trade to Miami I think that that is the I think that's the big one for everyone um with Miami in the finals last year you know, struggling to find their identity early on this season. I think Oladipo is that piece to sort of push them over the edge. The guy that will help them make that playoff push potentially to get back to the finals and maybe even win it all. Yeah. Miami is an interesting one. You know, this is a team. They, if you think about them, they are the reigning Eastern conference champions, Eastern conference champions. So they've kind of had a target on their back all season and they haven't really been in the top one, two or three seed, but you know, I think I think I agree with you. I think they were one of the more successful teams in this trade in this trade season. They upgraded on the wing, their stretch four. They add a potential third star in Oladipo, like you mentioned, and I think that sets them up for another finals run. And they did that all somehow, staying under the luxury tax and at almost no cost. They didn't have to get rid of Tyler Hero. They didn't have to sacrifice Duncan Robinson. They even kept Kendrick Nunn. And now you have Victor Oladipo to team up with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And I think this really makes Miami one of the more dangerous teams in the East and, and for very little. Now, Victor Oladipo, 2018 most improved player before injury sidelined him. He's a solid two-way player, plays great defense. And his contract expires next year, so almost no risk there for Miami if it ends up not being the right fit. However, do we think he's going to move the needle for them? He has had a lower... Uh, season statistic, lower um, and statistically season for him hasn't been playing his best. He has been injured. Do we think he's going to be enough to move the needle for Miami and make them a legit playoff contender? You know, I do think that Oladipo does bring, bring a lot to the table. And as you noted, yeah, he's, he suffered with injuries and he's not what he was maybe a couple seasons ago, but it, it does help when you surround yourself with a really good team. And I think Oladipo, you know, Pat Riley bringing him in. I really think that he will bring Miami, who are now, they sit at the eighth seed. But the thing about the East is that just two games separate the four seed and the ninth seed. So although the Heat are at eight right now, they could win a couple games and all of a sudden they'll have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. 
And that could be the difference between them advancing out of the first round. And I think that Oladipo, I think he could help them maybe win those extra two games, get them out of that little bubble and put them on top and, you know, make a playoff run, get that momentum going. I think he's their guy. I, I mean, it will stand to see, but, you know, this is a team that does come alive in the playoffs, or at least they did last year. They were hot. I mean, you know, the Miami Heat were hot, and maybe that's cliche, but that's how they were last year. And another Eastern team that's normally hot when it comes playoff time and normally consistent are my Boston Celtics. Now, now, I'm a Boston fan, and this year has been frustrating. You're a New York fan, and this year has been exciting for you. And, wow, how the tables have turned. But the Celtics are another team – that finally made a move or two in the offseason. Evan Fournier from Orlando in exchange for two second-round picks and the rights to Jeff Teague, who they didn't end up ultimately keeping. When I, I think you might have been shadowing me on, on the pod when I was talking to, I think it was Chris, um, and we talked about Evan Fournier possibly going to the Knicks, but instead he's going to the Celtics. But in his first game, he went 0 for 10. 0 for 10, and this is someone who we brought in to bring shooting to the Celtics offense that has been struggling as of late. Is this something for the Celtics, for Celtics fans to be worried about? You know, I think, you know, you're overreacting. You know, <laughs> I have seen there, you know, there's a statistic and I'm not, I'm not sure where I saw this, probably, you know, ESPN or somewhere where, you know, he went 0 for 10 last night. And I think that is the most missed shots for a debut for a player with a new team. So you know, definitely Rusty coming out of the gates. You know, he played 33 minutes. So, you know, people will joke that he, you know, he just ran around for 33 minutes. But, you know, once he gets adjusted to the Celtic system, as you noted, you know, they need shooters. You know, they've kind of underperformed this year. You know, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year and a couple of, um, you know, a couple of seasons before that as well. You know, they're a very talented team led by Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But they're still a game under 500. But luckily, you know, besides the top three teams in the East, you know, once you get from that fourth seed down, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of mobility. Even below 500, the Celtics are easily a playoff team. You know, the goal for them, I believe, should be to be the four seed. I think that that's very achievable. And like I said, with the Miami thing, it gets them the first round home court advantage. And last night, in addition to be Evan Fournier's first game, it was the first game that they welcomed fans back to the TD Garden. And that home court advantage that Boston fans bring, it is substantial. And I think that having that in the playoffs will really help them out. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and as a Celtics fan, I would be more than happy with a fourth seed, especially at the rate that they're playing with. And I think one thing, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, first team, first game with a new, new team, he had that weird false positive COVID scare thing right before he missed the game before. And, and it's hard to come into a new team. He's definitely nervous. So I, I'm not too worried. He's only failed to score in double, double figures three times this season. And this is his only game with fewer than eight points. And so I'm not too worried. I am really happy that they didn't give up Marcus Smart. There was a lot of rumors that they were going to have to sacrifice him. Uh, and, and he's someone who I think brings a lot to this team. I think he's more, he, he's obviously a great defensive player, but he's also just the heart and soul. He's a hustle player. And anyone from Boston knows that if, if you've got hustle and you've got heart, on a Boston team, you're going to be loved by the fans and you're going to be clutch come playoff time. And so you get to keep Marcus Smart, you bring Fournier, you have Kemba Walker. And like you mentioned, you have two all-stars in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So this is a team that has players and has the core to win when it matters. So I hopefully they're able to figure it out. Hopefully they get more clutch time from some of their bench players like Prayton Pritchard, who, you know, he's either hot or not. So maybe they'll be able to 
bring things together. They did give up Daniel Tice, who has been who's been pretty solid for them uh, this season. But in exchange, they got a, a German right back in Mo Wagner, 23 year old from the Wizards, uh, former first rounder out of Michigan. Kind of forgot about him to be honest, but I, I think him for Tice is why not? I don't think it really does much, but I'm just glad we didn't lose smart in this situation. Uh, but let's talk about the Knicks for a second, because that's another team in the East right now who didn't do much in this trade deadline, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Bruce, how do you think, where do you see the Knicks in this Eastern conference now, especially Mitchell Robinson hurt again? How do you think that's going to affect them as we get deeper and deeper into this season? Well, for the Knicks, you know, it's been a weird season. Weird just because they're good. I know it's it's kind of <laughs> crazy. You know, they're they're above 500. They're fifth in the Eastern Conference, sitting at 24 and 23. Um, they're coming off a loss at home against the Heat, who we talked about. But like you said, their biggest problem is their lack of depth at the center position. A lot of people said that they should have gone after Andre Drummond in the buyout market. But, you know, the Knicks, they were committed to their young center, Mitchell Robinson. Unfortunately, Mitchell Robinson got hurt on Saturday. And at that point, Drummond had already committed to the Lakers. So it looks like that Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel, the backup bigs for the Knicks, they're going to be seeing a lot more minutes. And, you know, Taj, he's getting old. You know, they can, they can get, you know, they're good in brief bursts, but they can't really keep up the same level of production that a Mitchell Robinson can. So for the Knicks, they're going to have to survive off, you know, the people that they have so far. And in a weak Eastern Conference, I do see them as a playoff team. I do, I do believe they will make the playoffs, and they can make some noise in the playoffs. Similar to the Boston fans, the Knicks fans, you know, they they are a special breed. They can really make it happen. And uh, you know, Madison Square Garden, they'll be shaking this postseason. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. I think one of the Knicks' best advantages now is having fans back. I mean, we we said if the Knicks were to win a playoff game, watch out New York because the, the second coming of the purge might happen. And I, you know, it sucks not having Mitchell Robinson that obviously hurts you, but like you mentioned, like Nerlens Noel has been playing really well. And this is a team that just has that it factor. And that's something that you really want coming into playoff time. It's just such a fun team to watch. And, and, you know, you said, it, you said it really well, but this, this is a team that it's, it's been a weird season, but it's also been a season of overperforming and overachieving and I think just making to the playoffs is something is something to celebrate. And even if they don't make it too far, this is a team that is going to do well in the, in the years to come. And they have a young core. They still have uh, early round draft picks. So I, I think the next few years are going to be really exciting for this Knicks team. And one other East team that I want to talk about before we go over to the West are the Nets. And, and I think this will be a good transition because I really want to talk about the buyout market here. The Nets signed LaMarcus Aldridge, adding him to the most star-studded roster in the league. LaMarcus Aldridge, seven all-star appearances, three times with the Spurs, four times in Portland. That joins Katie, who has 11 all-star appearances, James Harden, who has nine, Kyrie, who has seven, Blake Griffin, who they signed a few weeks ago, who has six, and DeAndre Jordan, who has one. That's a total of 41. Only the Celtics 2010-2012 roster had more all-star appearances on their team. So this team is ridiculously talented, especially on paper. But, but Bridge, I've seen fans claim that this didn't really do anything for Brooklyn and that LaMarcus Aldridge is in his late 30s. He's washed. He's not going to make a difference. 
doesn't really move the needle for this team. He hasn't played in a month. Blake Griffin still might be shaking the dust off. Is it really that big a deal that they got Aldridge in this buyout market? I do. I, I believe it's a big deal. I really like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, as a player. Yeah, he's getting old. He's 35, but he's one of those old school post style players. You know, his game is centered around the mid range jump shot, which, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of going out of style, but it's consistency. You know, you can't forget about how great it is. You know, his ability to stretch the floor as a shooter. You got to talk about that as well. You know, he reminds me a lot of a guy like Chris Bosch, a solid rebounder with a great post game and a mid range jump shot. And also someone who started out more in the post, but has been has gained the ability to spread the floor and shoot the three ball. I think that him as a veteran and his experience, although having limited ish postseason experience, you know, not really going to the finals, but, you know, earlier rounds, I think his limited experience will actually be very important in the postseason. And just his veteran presence. And also with Blake Griffin, you know, he scored 17 points Friday night against his former team, Detroit. And, you know, everyone thought that he was really bad for Detroit. And, you know, he comes to the Nets and I think he dunks in his first or second game and catches a lob from James Harden. You know, Griffin said that, and I quote, you know, it's kind of funny to me because for the last couple of years, all I heard about is how bad I am. He signed with this team and everyone's like, well, that's not fair. Close quote. You know, it's a weird double standard because everyone said, oh, Griffin's terrible. But now when he joins the Nets, they're acting like he's prime 2013 Lob City Blake Griffin. So, you know, which one is it? But I think overall, you know, look at the Nets at the trade deadline. You know, they made some moves with the um, the buyout market, but they kept they kept Spencer Dinwiddie, who I think a lot of people forgot about him. He's been injured with an ACL injury. I think he's after this season, but they'll have him back next year. A great player that comes off the bench and gives you solid scoring. And in addition, I think we were going to talk about this anyways, but I want to talk about James Harden yeah. in his case for MVP. Now he dropped 38 last night. You know, typical numbers for James Harden and, and Kyrie, who just returned from a three-game absence, he dropped 27. So the Nets are doing fine despite Durant still being out with his injury. Now, Durant has been sidelined since February 6th. And according to Steve Nash, the coach, you know, he looks great and he's progressing, but he's going to be out for at least the next week. And I like that they're taking their time with Durant because we've seen in the past a team, Golden State, they rushed Durant back and, you know, he re-injured himself worse than he did before in the 2019 playoffs. And the Nets have the luxury of having a guy like James Harden and a guy like Kyrie Irving, superstars, to help their team win and let Durant heal up. It's not as if Durant goes down and the team automatically goes down like the Titanic. You know, the Nets have enough firepower to keep the ship afloat until Durant comes back healthy. And when Durant comes back healthy, oh my goodness, they are going to be dangerous. You know, they're already 17 and three in their last 20 games. And I don't think Durant has really played in most of those games. They're coming off a win at home against the Timberwolves. And, you know, they're just coming together, LaMarcus Aldridge. And you think about their death lineup, that lineup that'll be on the floor at the end of the game, KD, Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris is a shooter. And then you can plug anyone else in. You can plug in Jeff Green, a closer, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, even DeAndre Jordan on the inside. I mean, they have so many options. And I think they'll even have the Lakers confused. I really do. I really think the Nets are the team that has the best chance of winning it all. And that no other team really has enough firepower to combat them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is one of the most dangerous lineups, top to bottom, not even just lineups, but rosters. You know, you go in, like you mentioned, their depth. And you look what they did in this, this trade deadline and buyout market, and they took care of the biggest questions they've had all season. You know, coming out of that Harden deal, there was questions. One, 
how are Harden, Katie, and Kyrie going to be able to play together? That has not been an issue. I mean, mainly because one of the three is always missing and usually hurt. Right. So it hasn't been an issue. Two, spotty defense. They lost Jared Allen and a thin bench without Levert. But like you mentioned, they still have they still have depth. And you bring in Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, not known for their defense, but look at the end of the day they're both 610 and they're big bodies and at least you have someone to throw in there against Giannis against Embiid against Bam Adebayo Adebayo. and at least you have somebody somebody who's going to help you on that defensive front and like you mentioned they've just such a deep team they have such a deep team and I I, you just have it's going to be hard to find people who are going to be able to match up uh, with this team except for you mentioned the Lakers I think the Lakers are the only other team in the league with uh, a, a roster similar in talent level to the Brooklyn Nets. Lakers, they sign Andre Drummond uh, in, attempt to, in, in an attempt to improve their front court with this buyout market. Andre Drummond, I think he's short, he short-term helps them right off the bat. You know, uh, he comes in there again, like, like we said, he has size. Uh, I, I think long-term, they're going to want AD back, not Andre Drummond, but Anthony Davis and I think when you get to the playoffs that's who you're going to need if you're going to want to um, be able to win this thing you're going to need Anthony Davis back I I don't think LeBron coming back is a question he's one of the healthiest guys in the league he comes back from injury high ankle sprain kind of questionable but at max six weeks and I think he'll be back fine Anthony Davis is a big question mark um, and I think if you don't have him you're going to have problems but I, I'd like the move to go out there and sign uh, Andre, uh, Andre Drummond, why not? You know, he can provide a secondary physical shot blocking presence on the interior and he just gives more opportunities for them to shake up their lineup. So uh, for me, I like this move by the Lakers. What do you think? Oh, I love this move because when you look at the Lakers, LeBron and Davis, that's the core of their team. Right. When you look at the Lakers right now, that core is missing. Who do they turn to? Contavious Caldwell Pope. <laughs> what? Dennis, Dennis, yeah, right. Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, they're, they're okay, but you need a guy who you can really turn to to lead. And Andre Drummond checks a lot of boxes. Number one, you know, he is a leader. When he played with Detroit, right? He was with Detroit, I believe. Yes. He was he was their number one player. He was their superstar. Now, Andre Drummond, he's a towering interior presence. He's already led the league in rebounds four different times. And he fills the void left not only by Anthony Davis this season, but left by JaVel McGee and Dwight Howard from last year's championship team. A lot of people already forgot how important those pieces were. You know, they were huge rebounders, shot blockers. They did a lot. A lot of things went unnoticed. But now you're starting to see the Lakers, they do need that interior presence. And, you know, so far this year, Marcus Gasol has been that guy that they signed in the offseason. Hasn't really lived up to what they thought he'd be. You know, Marcus Gasol played a key role for the Raptors 2019 championship, but he is on the downside of his career. He's getting a bit older. He's not as mobile. It never really was mobile, to be honest. So I think that Andre Drummond brings that interior presence. I think he brings that experience, that leadership. And I think, I think he is going to be the one that if the Lakers and the Nets match up in the finals, he's going to be the difference maker for the Lakers if they win the series, because the Nets, they do lack that true, true interior presence. Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are more post-oriented players. Blake Griffin earlier in his career was a high flyer, but isn't so now. He, you know, he steps outside the three-point line. Andre Drummond is the guy who can really control the paint and man the middle. And I think that if the Lakers are going to win the series, it's going to be on him. 
Right. And you mentioned Dwight Howard. I think that's a great comparison. You know, when what all they needed Dwight Howard to do uh, for this team last year, and he was also a veteran, was rebound, dunk, and block shots. They're going to ask Andre Drummond to do the same thing, but Andre Drummond is seven years younger than Dwight Howard. And he's 6'10", he's 280. Not the best shooter, but like, like you mentioned, he's he's going to fill a hole for them. He's going to do exactly what they need him to do. And I think he's he's been having an off year, but that's because he was on a terrible team. And now he's going to come in. He's going to be on a team with a championship culture, and that might be able to persuade him to play better and to, and to help his shot selection and to help him step up his game. So I, assuming that the Lakers get healthy and stay healthy, I think they have the best uh, chance at – you know, vying with the Nets for that championship team. But one question I've seen about this buyout, now you look at these two teams, the Nets and the Lakers, like we've mentioned, like we've been saying all show, they are two of the best teams in the league. They're also in the New York market and the LA market, two of the richest markets. And I've seen a few haters on NBA Twitter and NBA social media saying that, oh, the buyout market is, is you know, crooked. It's the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. There needs to be a change. Something needs to happen. But I, I don't know if, if I can buy into all of that. You know, uh, if you look at these teams, you know, the Brooklyn Nets weren't good two years ago. You know, they went out and made this purchase. And this doesn't happen. This is the first time where we had two of the top teams go out and buy two of the top candidates on the buyout market. But uh, do you think this is a problem? Do you think this is something that the CBA is going to have to address in the offseason? No, that's a good question, and I, and I like the point that you brought up. The Nets, they weren't contending two years ago. Two years ago, they were, you know, they were a fun team to watch. They were led by D'Angelo, Russell, and a bunch of really young players, but nobody thought of them getting out of the first round of the playoffs. That summer, they signed KD and Kyrie, and everything changed for them. Lakers, three years ago, I believe they didn't even have LeBron. They were bottom feeders, right? So we think now that these are the richer, the rich getting richer, but when in fact, you know, Half a decade ago, these teams were at the bottom of their conferences. You know, I think that the buyout market, it's hard to say because, you know, you see the Nets, they're acquiring these top players. I mean, not top players, but former all-stars. And you see the Lakers bringing in a a former all-star and Andre Drummond. But, you know, I don't see how it wouldn't be fair. You know, they're not, as Steve Nash said, they're not doing anything illegal. Right. You know, other teams, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, you know, other teams can sign these guys too if they want, you know. I mean, there's nothing preventing them from going out. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge was originally um, reported by Woj to have um, been eyeing Miami as his top destination. So, you know, they're not restricted to signing with top teams, but ultimately they're, you know, the term is ring chasing. They want a championship. They see their best opportunity um, and they, you know, they're taking advantage of that. Right. And if I'm a vet past my prime, why am I not going to want to go to a championship contending team? Like you mentioned, like, why am I not going to want to go play with the best players available? And, and I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but fans of the game fall in love with names. You know, we see some, we see a name like Blake Griffin. We, we know that he's historically good. So we automatically assume, oh, he's an all-star. Oh my God. Of course, of course, Blake Griffin's going to the Nets. Of course, LaMarcus Aldridge is going to the Nets. Of course, Andre Drummond's going to Lakers. But if you really think about it, none of those three players would drastically improve any middle team's chances at contending. They don't, they're not going to move the needle on any team except for a team that already has a good chance. And you also have to look at who are the other good teams in the league right now, the Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz, Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, these are small market teams 
with great players who didn't make that big of moves. I think yeah. Denver Nuggets had a good offseason, but besides that, these teams didn't go out and do a lot of crazy things. They didn't get involved in the buyout market, and they're still top-level teams in this league. So I, I don't see this being an issue. Uh, you know, I will – off that note, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Denver Nuggets because I do think this is a team that, you know, they had a good, they had a good um, trade deadline. They went out and got Aaron Gordon, who was one of – the biggest names, you know, uh, in this in-trade deadline rumors. And I think he could really help this team that already has, who I think is the top MVP candidate right now in, in Nikola Jokic. And they needed a versatile defender to contend in the West, someone to match up with guys like LeBron or Kawhi. And they went out and got Gordon. And I think he's going to give them a chance, especially he's someone who could match up well with Jokic running that offense opens up the possibility for maybe a smaller ball lineup with Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. as big men. And, and I really like this. And I think that Denver could possibly come out of this trade deadline as one of, you know, one of the danger, most dangerous threats in the league. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like Denver gets slept on a lot and I won't lie. If I, if the nuggets are on TV, I'm, I'm probably not watching. You know? <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just not, I mean, they're the nuggets. I mean, I hate to disrespect them, but a guy like Jokic, he's cool, but you know, he's not entertaining, you know, and, and that's, and that, and go, and that's why they go under the radar so much. He's a fundamental player that really knows what he's doing. And that's why he's a top MVP candidate. And I think Aaron Gordon, who I believe he's averaging around 15 points a game this season. Um, he is known for his dunk contest shenanigans and mm-hmm. is in fact wearing number 50 um, because he believed that that was the score he deserved to get. Um, but of course we know that Dwayne Wade gave him a nine on one of the dunks, you know, so Anyways, that's a topic for another day. However, <laughs> the Nuggets, um, as you said, their small ball lineup, throw Jokic at the five. I think that they can make some noise in the playoffs. And um, Gordon coming from the Orlando Magic, who, by the way, just made a lot of moves. They sent Fournier to your Celtics and Vucevic over to the Chicago Bulls. So it seems like they're just throwing everyone away. And I think that they're going to enter some sort of rebuilding era down there in Orlando. Um, but I think the Nuggets, they're a very interesting team to watch. And when you look at the updated MVP odds, you have Nikola Jokic at minus 125. He's the uh, top candidate, especially with LeBron going down with an injury, with Embiid going down with an injury. Jokic is the only one who's really been consistent this season. And it looks like that he is the current favorite to win the MVP. Yeah, I, I it's crazy how many injuries we've had in this season. It's not too surprising to me, given how strange these past this past year and a half has been, you know, the short turnaround from the bubble, the on and off constantly for guys, people, you know, these athletes have been off their routine. So not surprising. There's been a lot of injuries, but it is frustrating for the league to have so many key players down, especially MVP candidates. You know, we have LeBron, AD, KD, Joel, Joel Embiid has been out for a long time. You know, that really hurts the league, especially for ratings and just quality of basketball. But like you mentioned, I think Jokic stands out to me as, the clear front runner for MVP right now. He is averaging more points than James Harden. He's averaging more rebounds, fewer assists, but he ranks six in the NBA in assists as a big man. And the top five are all guards. So uh, just he's the heart and soul of this Denver team that, like you mentioned, you know, most people wouldn't even watch. I don't watch. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody thinks of the Denver Nuggets as a powerhouse team, but yet somehow Jokic is keeping his team in that conversation week in and week out. The Nuggets, they're fifth in the West right now, but the West to me is more competitive than the East anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised 
if he stays up there as a potential MVP candidate. Um, you mentioned really quick, you mentioned the magic. I think low key, this might be a hot take, but they might've been one of the smartest teams in the deadline. And I think that's because they finally came to terms with how blatantly mediocre they are. And they did something about it. You know, they've been just hovering around the past few years. They've won two playoff games in the past decade, not playoff series, playoff games. They've been so irrelevant for so long. Like the coolest thing about them is that they're from Orlando and it, like, that's it. So I, I'm glad that they made a bunch of these trades. You know, like you mentioned, they sent away Vucevic. They, you know, sent away Fournier. They sent away Gordon and they brought in a bunch of young, talented guys. They bring in RJ Hampton. They bring in Wendell Carter Jr. Now they have a ton of future first round and second round picks. So they can build around Marco Fultz in the, in the future. They can build around Michael Carter Williams, develop Cole Anthony. And I think they're, I think they are doing the rebuild right. And I think it's about time, but uh, Bridge, almost out of time here. I'm picking pop, but I, I want to ask you one final question. If everyone was healthy, if everyone was healthy and everyone stays healthy, Who's your MVP on the season, especially coming out of this trade deadline? Oh, well, that's a good question because I have two answers. If everyone was healthy from the beginning, I would have one answer, but I want to start with the reality that we live in, which is <laughs> a league full of a lot of injuries. And this may sound like a hot take, but this hot take is begin, has began to cool down. And for me, it's James Harden. You're probably thinking, well, Harden, you know, he was in Houston. Now he's over in Brooklyn, their team. They have three all-stars, you know, why Harden? Let's just put this into perspective. Kevin Durant goes down with injuries. Kyrie Irving is God knows where half the time. Without those two guys, I'm not saying the Nets would be a lottery team, but they certainly wouldn't be at the top of the Eastern Conference. And so in the stretches that they've been, well, first of all, they've been without Durant for like nearly the past two months. But in even the stretches where they've been without both Durant and Kyrie, James Harden has been the player most valuable, which is MVP, it's what it stands for, and most valuable to the Brooklyn Nets. And without Harden, you know, sure, the Nets would probably make it to the playoffs and you know, they get Kyrie and Katie back and sure, they'd probably be fine. But Harden brings so much more as a scorer, as a playmaker, maybe not as a defender, um, but, you know, he does enough to, to make the case. I don't believe that he'll end up winning the MVP just because he's on a team with three all-stars. And I think the committee will just look at that and they just, you know, it's hard, especially with Harden starting off in Houston and leaving, you know, there's a bit too much there, but personally, if I was the person who chose the MVP, if I could vote or, you know what I mean, if I could do that, I would pick Harden in a heartbeat, but, and, and then real quick, if there were no injuries, I would say that it'd probably be Joel Embiid. I think that, before he went down, you know, he was the most valuable player on the best team, which was the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they were up there with the Jazz. Best team in terms of record. I think the Lakers and the Nets have a better chance of going far in the playoffs. But the numbers and the actual statistics speak for themselves. I think that Embiid, I mean, it's hard to even call this a breakout year because he's been an all-star for so long. But before he was injured, he was the most consistent he'd ever been, averaging close to 30 points. I mean, he's been doing it all for the Sixers, just leading them and was, you know, they were poised to make a deep playoff run. And if they get him back, I believe they will still be able to do so. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I, I like your hard point. Uh, I think one impressive thing about him is how he's evolved as a player and adapted to playing with other superstars. You know, in 2018, he won MVP and he was leading the league in scoring this year. 
he's leading the league in assists and he's in that conversation. So I, I will give him a credit to that. However, I think it does help being on a team that is so loaded. So I'm going to say not Harden. I'm going to say Jokic or like you've mentioned Embiid. I want a center to win MVP so bad. Oh. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. I know I know we're disagreeing on that, but all right, I mean, we'll I, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Exactly. If yeah. if he comes back and is healthy, I think he deserves it. You know, trust the process. He's trusted for so long. This yeah. is a Sixers team that I have a bet on with Andrew Posada, so I'm really <laughs> counting on him to come back and, and take that MVP. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Pick and Pod. Bridge, it was awesome having you on the show, and I hope we get to do it again really soon. I'm Kelly Bright. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.